Welcome listeners to Dark Tides, a weekly improvised audio drama series that uses role-playing game mechanics. Mm. Oh, never heard that one before, Aubrey. Never heard that one Is that before. a new one? Is new that intro? new? Aubrey, new when intro did you, 2021. When did you get the new All right, patch jumping update? Right in. We're just <laughs> skipping introductions and fun facts today. <laughs> wow. No oh, respect. Wow. Yeah, we lose our fun Bit facts. Bit harsh. Oh, man. Oh. We never get to have fun here, Aubrey. No. Why can't we have fun? Because you didn't bring your pop filter and because I'm the show creator and what I say goes. Well, I, I can kill your characters. Good. Go for it. You won't do it. You won't do it. <laughs> I think this is more dysfunctional than the first attempt. At so my <laughs> yeah. name is BJ. I'm here too. I play Alistair Stern, who is a character on this podcast. He's 19 year, year years old. <laughs> this episode's gone down the drain already. He's 19 years old. He's an emo. Uh, he has no friends, no job security. He works as a night watchman and uh, pursues his true calling in secret as an amateur cryptozoologist and detective of the supernatural. And I'm joined by Chester, who's not going to ruin his intro like I did. Are you, Chester? Of course. Hello, of course. everyone. My name is Chester Lynn, and I play Ernest Marsh, a lifelong Boy Scout and nature enthusiast who has been given a chance to fulfill his lifelong dream of becoming a park ranger. This dream has led him to the Hook Bar Archipelago. Purely from the look it that works. you just gave me then, like before you did your intro, I think we should film one of these one day. <laughs> it was just like a challenge. Like, oh, you think I'm going to get this wrong? It's like death staring me. I'm like, yeah, I should bring my camera in one <laughs> So after this shambles of an opening... <laughs> so anyway we're uh, glad you're still here thank you shut up bj Ernest uh, is going first of his uh his fun facts for this episode okay so I, i'm doing first because bj always seems to think rightfully so that i just <laughs> copy his Where do I get that from? I just copy his fun fact and give it a little twist so Ernest's fun fact is Ernest isn't much of a video game player in fact the only video game he ever played was Resident Evil 2 on the Nintendo 64. <laughs> oh, no. And it scarred him so deeply and so thoroughly that he just thinks all video games are like that. Oh, okay. And so he's never so gone back. So has he never back. played, like, Crossy Roads or, any, like, any iOS? Oh, no, no, because his, his mother thinks they're all a scam. So he was, like, mm-hmm. adhering to his mother of, like... All those sure? in-app purchases. Yeah, oh, yeah, okay. I suppose it's a scam. Also, you know, he's a nature guy. Like, he doesn't want to be on his phone. Yeah, yeah, okay. He's out. Certain bushfires. The only apps he has are like paid for GPS apps and a compass. Yeah, and find your phone, but it's on the phone, so it doesn't make any (laughs) sense. It's just another GPS. Well, I've got to be able to find my phone if I lose it. (laughs) Yep. And he's got one app that like sends out a sonar signal from the phone. So if like a submarine is looking for him or something, <laughs> could find him. I'll find him. I'll find him. Well, my fun fact, uh, I haven't prepared any this week. So uh, my fun fact uh, that I thought of as I was washing my car before I came here is that Alistair never washes his car. He mm-hmm. had like he mm-hmm. has legitimately never washed his car, so he just he just lets the rain do it. Is it just because it's that perfect color where like dust doesn't change it too much? No, the dust change. changes it a lot. Oh, okay, he just figures it's it, actually black. Well, it it's rains not once a month. That's good enough. <laughs> and also like it's half half paint and half rust. So he's like, well, I wouldn't like. There's not much paint left to clean anyway. So he just you know. Just mm-hmm. lets it. How the hell does your dad let you drive around and something like that? Wouldn't that just be an eyesore for his car parking area? <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, he hates it. Oh, that's why you could buy a better car. But no, no, yeah, Alistair likes the car he has, but he just he likes it more because his dad hates it so much. And like his dad has like offered to buy him like a Tesla, and he's like, no, dad. 
I don't want a there Tesla. There is no way your you dad would buy a Tesla. Over, I think you're massively not, no, overstating like, how much money maybe like being a, a mayor pays. A Toyota or something. <laughs> no, but also your dad would be so against Tesla and all yeah, that type of true, stuff. Yeah, that's true, actually. He would just be, like, yeah. coal or nothing. <laughs> <laughs> Aubrey, what's your fun fact? What is my fun actually, fact? I actually, I have a recommendation for you, Aubrey. Oh, okay. Uh, there's an audio drama by the BBC called The Cypher that I've been listening to, and it's quite good. It's kind of similar to what we do, kind of kind of similar and also not similar as well. Um, I also have a recommendation. Oh, you should play Ooh. Persona Five Strikers because it is the perfect combination of Persona Aubrey Five is shaking his head and viciously. Final Fantasy Fifteen because it's all the Persona Five stuff of going into people's Final Fantasy Fifteen thing of the road trip, the buddy cop movie type of it's us. My plug this week. I don't remember if I have uh, recommended this before. Recommendation, not a plug, is for a podcast called Dark Dice, made by Full and Scholar Productions. They have just recently finished their first season, and there will be another season uh, to come. It is a deeply distressing horror D&D campaign, and it's one of the most beautifully executed uh, audio dramas out there, in my opinion. It's definitely worth checking out. How does one look at the podcast? Please, Aubrey, tell those of us who are listening to this podcast right now, how do we find podcasts? How Uh, do we do that? On last week's episode, lots of stuff happened. Ernest resuscitated someone, went for a drive. Alistair broke a kid out of kid jail. There was a wizard battle that completely, like, broke the mechanics of my world, and now I have to deal with that. I plan so little in advance that... Whatever law there is or consistency in the story is lost to me. If you find it, listener, well done. But it's not intentional. <laughs> it's lost to Aubrey. It's lost to all of us. All right. So this week we will be jumping back in, but we are having a time jump. <sighs> oh my goodness. Very briefly, the two of you have once again leveled up. Yes. Uh, but we will explore what new skills you have chosen the in the episode in character. You guys will tell me what you have been doing and that'll partially at least involve your new skill. So anyway, I think we've run out of time on this podcast. So, um, <laughs> so that'll be it for this Yeah, week. we'll see you yeah, next week. We're 11 right. minutes in. Thanks 11 for episode, minutes in. listening to episode what, 12B or whatever. Yep. Cut seven minutes of this, whoever's editing. Mr. Pop. <laughs> We descend upon the archipelago of Hookbar. It's a beautiful afternoon in early summer. The waves are rolling smoothly in to lap at the densely forested shores. It's been two weeks since Ernest, Alistair, and the whole gang, air quotations. Yeah, we're a gang now. Escaped the children of the tide with Wilbur and his mother Maria safely in the hands of two strangers from the mainland. I say safely, uh, you assume safely. <laughs> we're still alive, so. Yeah. You have had two weeks to rest and recover, to heal wounds, and uh, hopefully not to question too much. Both of you have received a message uh, this morning, in fact, informing you that you are invited to a private meeting in the back room of the Kingfish Pub to discuss the events of the last couple of weeks. Uh, The message is signed from Gina Grimshaw, Park Ranger Chief, no longer acting. But let's talk about what Alistair and Ernest have been doing in the interval. 
Would uh, Alistair like to go first? So Alistair has been messaging Ernest for the last two days, asking if he can help to come and help him replace the back window of his car. I was like, Ernest, come on, man, you got to help me. He was like, ah, oh, I'm a bit, bit busy today. I'm like, Ernest, come on, I can't lift this thing on my own. My dad's not going to help. He hates my car. Come on, man. Also, I have a cat now. Also, I have a cat, yeah. <laughs> and your dad, by the way, is deathly allergic to animal yes. hair, which is why you have never had cat cats or pets growing up. Yes, exactly. So he just walks around sneezing and wondering <laughs> Cannot why. figure out why. <laughs> Cannot figure out why. Alistair's, like, just trying his absolute hardest to never let his dad see the cat. Wait, yeah. so how did Alistair get this cat? What? So it was this, the cat that... Yeah. This is the cat that Herb Cush uh, had... Disowned, living, basically. Had disowned, basically, uh, and it hid in the back of your car at the end of Radiohead episode... Six. Six. Yes. So he was just at the hospital for like two days in the back of that car. Look, (laughs) it loves it in there. You have a cat now. It's a fluffy, grey, chunky little thing. So Alistair is currently trying to, with one hand, balance the rear window of his car. With the with his left foot, he's trying to shoo the cat away, which is trying to like get in the way. And then with his left hand, he's holding like the silicon stuff, and he's like very precariously balancing as this message comes through. All right, uh, roll luck for me. Six. Uh, mixed results. <laughs> steps on the cat. I get the tail. window in the right place, but the cat gets silicon on its tail. <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, you get the window in, but it's crooked. Okay, that's, <laughs> that's fine. As long as it's yeah, not it'll, just, it'll just annoy you, a, though, every time you walk past it. I just put a bit of extra silicon, like, to try and seal the bit that's that's off. <laughs> just kind of whistle. <laughs> yeah, there is permanently a whistle in your car now. Now, do we want to discuss uh, Alistair's newfound skill, what he has been dedicatedly learning in the last two weeks? Maybe we should do this uh, with a flashback. A flashback, all right, all right. Flashback to Bernie's kitchen, and Alistair is trying to convince him to give him shooting lessons. Now, Bernie, I know what you're going to say, but I, I was just wondering if maybe if you could, you know, in a safe way, in a safe environment, teach me how to get better at target practice. Maybe. Um... I do already know how to shoot, kind of. Okay, well, look, sometimes you uh, don't have a license. Yes. You have to do a lot of paperwork, and that's fine. You can do that. Technically, I can take you uh, target shooting Great. if when you are we start? my guest at the range. Cool. Um, Let's go. All right, we cut forward <laughs> to you at the firing range. There are about 60 people here. Everyone and their mother is packing on the island. Uh, for good reason, too. Uh, the gun laws are a little bit looser here than on the mainland, etc., etc. Everyone at the gun range is about 85. The the gun laws are the same, but the enforcement is not <laughs> not as strict. You have a let's say a 22 caliber rifle, a very beginner gun. Uh, Come on, Bernie. Do I have to start with the pea shooter? <laughs> he Come says, on. Yes, and she's trying to force safety glasses onto your face. I can't. I'm not gonna say. I, I, Bernie, Look, I you, can't, can't have my eyes restricted. It's the law. It'll affect you my, have to wear it. my aiming. <laughs> it's the law. It's not the law. Look, See, look, look. Where is that look, written? Look. 
I don't know, but you have <laughs> I to. knew it. He just points at a sign, which is not a law, but there's a sign on the wall on the outside. It's an outdoor shooting range, by the way. There's like a massive dirt mound about 200 meters away, whatever their target's set up. Alistair deliberately throws the safety glasses onto the range so that Bernie can't safely get them and puts his sunglasses on instead. He's like, there we go. See, I'm wearing glasses. Happy, good. Now, how do I shoot this thing? Uh, you got to fix your stance a little bit like this. Uh, bend these a little bit. No, no, no. Like this. <laughs> he fixes your stance. Uh, and you got to lean into it. Like, the in the shoulder. Yep, like that. All right. Now, one eye, take half a breath. No, full... No. Full breath in, full half breath, breath out, half right? Breath out. I, I got it. Yep, I've done this okay. before. <sighs> don't tell me that. I don't, I don't want to know. Uh, and roll luck for me. All right. Oh, eight, actually. That's pretty good. All right, you hit the target. Uh, you squeeze off a shot. Uh, you do hit the target. You do now have an official skill in... What do we call it? I think it was just firearms. Hang on, let me, let me check. Ba- you have a basic firearms skill. You can use simple firearms, uh, both a handgun and rifle, with a basic proficiency, which means you will roll for luck, but you will roll with advantage. Very you do not have a license yet, so you do not actually own a gun yet, but we can deal with that. That's fine. Alistair knows ways to get around that. Yeah, we'll, we'll get we'll get to that. Your dad might have a gun safe somewhere because he's paranoid. He just has a gun safe. <laughs> he just has a gun <laughs> and a safe. a bunch of ammo. <laughs> like, doesn't own a the gun. The gun is the dangerous part. <laughs> <laughs> no, maybe that's it. He owns a bunch of guns, but no ammo. He's like, well, they look intimidating, but they're not dangerous if I can't shoot them. Guns don't kill people. Bullets kill people. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's his dad's, like, whenever there's ever, a, like, a gun safety briefing and he has to appear as the mayor, he's like, now remember, kids, just um, th- these are all the words of the fictional characters that do not uh, represent our personal worldviews on gun laws. Gun laws are good. They keep people safe. Thank you. So that concludes Alistair's flashback. He has fixed his car. He has recovered from his physical injuries. His oh. stress is back down to zero, by the way. Oh, yeah. You guys have had a two-week break, and you have gained your new skill. Alistair also needs to roll uh, to repair his tape. Uh, okay, yes. Yes, well, let's roll from for a few weeks then. ago. He gets a three. Yeah, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. Were you rolling for that? That's a d12. Yeah. Ernest will roll to help. Five. Now can you also roll to find out? All right, it plays, but it only plays backwards. <laughs> I think I, I think I might put it in the wrong way. I think I might round it backwards. We're going to cut across now to Ernest Marsh. What is Ernest been doing with his two weeks of uh, recuperation? By the way, your leg is now healed. You don't have to walk with a limp that I completely yeah! forgot that you had. Okay, so Ernest has unpacked his bag. He's called his mum. <laughs> He said hello to his dad. You called your mum, which was an unpleasant conversation because she was absolutely furious that it had been like four days since you arrived and you hadn't called, messaged. You had missed about 12 calls from her. I also went down to the local P.O. box and picked up anti-shark spray that she had sent me. <laughs> yeah, while you were there, uh, you do have a care package from your mum. Does it even uh, work underwater? <laughs> <laughs> no, it kind of comes out as like bubbles. <laughs> Opening it up, uh, it's a little cardboard box inside. A couple of pairs of socks. It's 
got all sorts of things that are quite are quite lovely that yeah. you now feel guilty about. And there's still a lot of deflecting of just like I you you know you should talk to uh, just talk to Gina. Uh, she looks you know like the whole to, to your situation. Mom? Well, yeah, no. You want your mum to call your boss. <laughs> It's like you, you know. It's just like been really busy. Um, didn't have a chance. You, you know, um, honey, it, honey, I am worried about you. It you got, don't call. It makes us worry. You know, the the the, the locate the scout hall, not scout hall. The uh, the the park Why ranger do place. You it sound got so nervous. It got it got robbed. Like got it's, broken into. What? It got broken it got into. What? Um, I'm, I'm fine. Right no, Hold it's on. it, mum, mum. It's fine, mum. That's not going to look good if you turn up. Like they already don't respect me. I don't um, care what looks good. I'm going to be there. Mom, no, just just send more bear spray or something. Like it's okay. Your dad takes the phone away from your mom. It's like, uh, uh, Ernie, Ernie, I think you uh, uh, you really should have called a bit early. Look, look, Becky, sh- no, you're not going to book a ticket. It's okay. He can handle it. We talked about giving uh, Ernie. I'll I'll call you back. Uh, okay, okay, I'll call. I'll call. No, I'll call you back. I'll call you back uh, yeah, in okay. an hour. Sounds good, sir. Other than that, he's visited Alistair a few times. He's kind of like finally unpacked his bags. He has given Alistair the big bag of stuff that he took from the ranger station with the instructions of do, do whenever you uh, you need to do these. I just, I probably shouldn't hear about it. I don't know what, what Gina will squeeze out of me. So you just take these and I'll get them back in a few days. Plausible deniability, I got you. Yes. Alright. <laughs> um, and so then he kind of set himself up in his little cabin area, which we haven't really described. So it has a little... You have a, a literal cabin in the woods yep. a little ways back from the ranger station. Yeah, just be like hardwood panelling. There's a little uh, patio at the front with like really thick sticks that have made up the uh, very rustic. Very rustic type of thing. You've got those big, thick poles on either side of the doorway. Inside, there's just a, a very simple little, like, cot bed with very itchy blankets on it. There is a cupboard. There is a, a table, a cooking area. It's basically one room and then a bathroom. You'd have a little kitchenette. Yeah, yeah the kitchenette well. stuff is a part of it. He just but, eats cereal in the morning by himself in the quiet. He likes it. He likes it. Um, there's a coffee machine, which he doesn't touch because he's not good on coffee. Uh, he's not good on caffeine. He has some herbal teas. The closest he comes to is just like a long-brewed black tea. If he needs a little pick-me-up. <laughs> uh, so there's that type of thing. He's kind of put up a calendar with all of his like notes and stuff on there about stuff he has to do. He's already got like a list of stuff and messages on his phone about stuff he has to do. He's got a list of things he's got to buy. Gina has basically given stuff. him, like, a list of 20 things he needs to do every minute of every day because there's no one else. He's both the grunt and everything else at the moment. He is the file manager. He is the call taker. He is constantly getting calls. Like, uh, Alistair thinks, like, he's not responding to his text because he's doing something else. He's doing everything else. <laughs> thing. He's, like, answering calls from Mrs. Gibbets down the road who's, like, having an argument with Mrs. Natalie about some fence she's put up it's like I just don't feel like white paint works for the streets it's like you've just been like forwarding half of them to Alistair (laughs) like anything that doesn't fall very specifically under park ranger you just send to me it's like ma'am so is it endangering animals uh no okay um 
Great. Uh, let me. Let me. Let me. I know this. a guy. I know a guy who can deal with this. Uh, so he's been doing that type of stuff. I've been doing a lot of fence painting lately. <laughs> he's put up a little picture of his brother and him at Ernest's last camp and first camp he ever went to. So yeah, that's what Ernest has been doing. He's also kind of taken apart his mother's care package and repurposed it into another care package. He's done this a few times now. And so while uh, the text is coming out to him, he's left the phone in his car as he takes the long walk out to the cave entrance that him, Nancy, and Randy went into together. He takes the, the care package, which is made up of different foods, different bits of clothing, boxes of pencils and notebooks and like coloring in books anything like he could get at the the post office office type of thing and he ties it to a rope and lowers it down into there disconnects the like leaves it goes back to his car waits for 20 minutes comes back and pulls the rope back up with the basket now empty so this is the the third time he's left a a care package to the changeling that he's named Sheshir. The only creature you have successfully like intimidated <laughs> and made frightened of you, you are now taking trying care to of look and after. feeding. <laughs> I think that's the reason why is he feels, he feels very bad. bad about that. This is half of him like trying to look after it, but also kind of maintaining the his presence in its mind of I'll look after you, but if anyone disappears <laughs> as he's walking back to his car, he uh, checks his phone, sees the text, and is just like, ooh. Even more than that, you actually, two things to cover. You actually have a uh, Ranger Jeep now. Yes. One has been. <laughs> You're not relying on me to drive you everywhere. Three, three of them had, in fact, been um, impounded by the council because they had been left places, like when Brett went into the caves and his car was left there for a week. <laughs> impounded. Uh, the Chief's one, impounded. <laughs> Gina's one, impounded. So now they've all come back. Uh, so you do have you have a Jeep now. Oh, it is a shitty 90s Jeep. You do not have Bluetooth aux and the radio is pretty good. Uh, it's, it's got like, fantastic it's, suspension though. The radio is yeah. much better than my car. It's uh, it's baby blue. It does. It has the Park Rangers uh, logo, which is sort of like you know a big pine tree on the side. It's had like a few people like scratch like their initials into the side of it. So he's <laughs> gone over with like a coloured pencil, <laughs> like like, wh- like white out on like liquid paper. Yeah, like, like white out like got. So rid they're of it. now more obvious. No, he's gone over white. with with blue. With, like a little oh, bit. Okay. it's very. It is still noticeable. It's just no. You take no, uh, nail polish. Closest colour you can find, but not quite right. Yeah, it's not quite <laughs> right. So then he painted like a little bit bigger than the initial so now it's just like a little it's a little patchy on like the back right hand bumper what skill has Ernest learnt in so this time Ernest learnt through his interaction with the creature because very few people do what he did mostly the creature attacks the person goes into their mind and does all that type of stuff he actually went into its mind which is something that has never happened before and so he has basically formed a very basic mental connection with the creature not anything that he can really detect but there is like a a connection in some form but he has now obtained a basic form of its ability yes an ability we're going to call psychic touch i haven't written this one out but the basic wording of this is Ernest can lay his hands on an object or person and if it has a strong enough resonance with something that's happened in the past or the person has a strong enough connection Ernest can hear 
a glimpse of what happened in the past. Super strong connections, like with the creature he can see as well. He kind of can detect echoes of supernatural events in the past. Yep, so for instance, when he was putting the picture up of him and his brother, he heard the sound of sloshing water and canoes being pulled up onto the bank and kids talking and laughing and a kind of commanding voice being like, okay, so we got to just move these up on the shore, then collect your bags and we'll start going up the trek. Now, this is the first of our supernatural skills. There will be more to come. Uh, They will evolve out of the situations that you guys are in. I'm not going to create a list of them and then shoehorn them in. So when it feels appropriate, you guys will be gifted some very, very slight supernatural abilities, mostly to help you detect things or manage those sort of supernatural situations. When you come back up from the entrance to Hon Caves and you check your phone, not only do you have the message from Gina uh, about the meeting that evening at the pub, you have two missed calls from her and a text that asks you to come to the ranger station to meet her. You also have a message from Alistair that's a screenshot of the notification coming through on his phone and the caption just says, you'd better be coming. I'm not going alone. <laughs> yeah, Ernest, he hasn't started the car yet. He's reading the stuff before he starts the car, might I add. Uh, he does not do, he does not drive and text. Uh, he calls, he calls Alistair. Right, so you're driving now, maybe? No, he's not. He's not okay. driving yet. Fine. He doesn't have Bluetooth. We sort of move things along. Hello, sorry. Hi, back. I'm. I'm back. Uh, hey. As the. the, the what have you been doing? I've been trying to put this window in on my own, and now it's crooked. Listen, I got a call from it's my not mom. Too bad. It's an, I'm just every time I get in, I'm just. I know I'm going to notice it. I got a call from my mom, uh, which was fun. Oh, is um, that? Is that a? Is that a regular occurrence thing? No, it should have been more regular, apparently. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah that right. was the problem. Um, okay, yeah. yeah. Okay, sorry, gotcha. sorry about the windshield. Yep, I'm. I'll. Uh, I've just got to go talk to Jada. That's right. I've just got to clean. Got to go talk to Jada. It'll be okay. Yep. I'll, uh, you are coming to talk to Gina, yeah, right? Well, I've got to talk to her before all of you have to talk to her. Wait, you're you're seeing Gina first? Yep. She uh she called me and uh, texted me and uh, I'm going there now. Oh, fancy. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not going to get angry this time. Right. Don't know if she's going to get angry, but yeah. uh, who knows? Well, good luck. Maybe, good by, luck, maybe, maybe by tonight I'll be employed. That would be quite nice. That would be quite nice. Um, So we should, um, I might swing past your place before and like drive you down there because um, we probably have some things we need to get straight uh, before we go into a meeting about like, what we're saying and what we're not yep, I, saying I got you. and what we're giving and what we're not giving. Yeah, well, don't be subtle about it. That's fine. What we're excommunicating and what okay, we're... Okay, I, I get it. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah okay, you get it. Well, okay, cool. I'm just here. I'll be cleaning the silicon off the cat for a while, so... You're going on the cat? Well, I didn't mean to... Because you weren't here, man. I had to do it myself. Shooing yeah. the cat away. Anyway, you need it's to be fine. better to Nara. It's not. I well, I'm, I'm trying. She just really, really likes what, when I do things to the car, and that's great. She except, likes the car. I man. know she likes the car, and that's great. Except when I don't have somebody else to hold her out of the way when there's wet. Sil- anyway, I'll I'll see you in an hour. Right. All right. Yep. Okay. Bye. All right, bye. No, Nara. No, stop. Ernest continues to follow uh, the track. He winds his way through the hills until he gets to the ranger station. 
there is now, you know, a couple of uh, ranger vehicles parked in the parking lot. The front door has been repaired. Windows are, you know, back in place. Glass is being cleaned up. Everything kind of looks like business as usual. Bet those ones aren't crooked. I will uh, point no, out not. that just about all of that, except for the installing of the glass, was done by Ernst. <laughs> he fine. was there when the tradies were there. He swept up the glass. Standing out front, wearing a park ranger's uniform, uh, is Gina. Now, when you get out of the car, uh, she kind of isn't really paying attention to you. She's looking at the trees, kind of the treetops, and she's watching a large bird maybe an eagle in fact is just hovering over the treetops and she's watching it when you will throw she says right let's go for a walk and as she starts to head down one of the trails that kind of is just an easy walking trail around the area you can't help but notice the kind of click click sound um that her leg brace makes this is a pretty extensive piece of machinery it's a brace that uh, ties around her upper thigh with two steel poles that brace her upper leg and then have a mechanical joint at the knee and then brace her lower leg she does kind of limp along leading the way she's going at a fair clip and she seems far more quiet and subdued than you have ever seen her. Yeah, and it's like adjusts his his big fuzzy bomber cap and like follows behind her. Without looking at you, she says over her sort of over her shoulder, does your head get really cold or something? No, it gets very hot. She she continues walking, kind of leading you. As she does so, she has a folder under her arm, just like a manila uh, folder, and she hands it to you as you kind of come alongside her and you can see it has your name written on it and the park rangers logo on the folder she says uh, that is your paperwork i did finally find it it was uh living under about three chinese takeaway containers in dad's bedroom i have your initial application and your qualifications of which there are very little well to put it bluntly you applied for this position with next to no experience or qualifications some early childhood stuff some veterinary training which is good but no experience which she stops begs me to ask the question my dad knew the situation here probably better than i do actually but instead of hiring an experienced ranger someone who had the skills and the background uh, he hired you she takes the folder back from you and opens it to show you uh, a news clipping. But I also found this uh, in the file, and it is a news clipping about a scout camp. The headline reads, 18 missing, two confirmed dead in Camp Massacre. She closes it and hands you back the folder and she says, I think I get it now. Any normal park ranger that would take the position probably wouldn't have the experience that you have. So in a way that makes you uniquely qualified for life on hook bar, if not for your actual duties as a ranger. She kind of stops and starts the conversation. It's kind of like totters behind her. What's going through Ernest's head? He's not really sure. He's he, he still isn't sure if he likes Gina like at all. 
Yeah, he's not he's not really enjoying the conversation and the fact that she's also clearly locked into him to some degree, or at least the only reason he was hired by the original chief was because of something outside of his own skill type of thing. Because he's very proud of his veterinary training. Like, it was three years. It's like still like sort of certificates and diplomas. It's nothing like yeah. insane, but it still was like years of work. And he's very proud of it. As you continue walking, you know that you're getting towards the end of this trail. You have been making a concerted effort to take as many of the walking trails as you can to get a better idea of the lay of the land and the different tracks that you'll be responsible for maintaining and these sort of things. You hope... You hope you still have a job. Um, <laughs> and as you're going, uh, Gina starts talking about the work that you've been doing. She says, all in all, I would say that's pretty good work. Considering everything else with the caves and Brett and Nancy and Randy. And I suppose Blue Gull and helping me. She puts an inflection on the word helping for sure. I think you have proven you have a good work ethic and a willingness to learn, and that's important. So I have an offer for you. By this stage, you've kind of reached the end of the walking trail and you're at a little rise in the hillside where things are cleared a little bit. There's a little plaque about this spot and the view from here because from here you can look down on part of the town and the bay and she leans over the balustrade and says, you've probably got a good idea now that life as a ranger on Hookbar is not easy not enviable. It is complicated and much more dangerous than any position you would take anywhere else. Dad thought you were right for the fit and you've proven that you are capable and that you're willing to learn. So I'm going to offer you the position of an official junior park ranger, but given how few people we have, you will probably be required to take on more roles and more responsibility pretty quickly. So don't let the junior bit worry you. I'm not going to ask you questions about that article. I don't need to know. But I need to know that we are going to have at least a working respect for one another and that you are trustworthy to carry out the orders you were given. And I know that you don't particularly like me, I can tell. That's fine, it doesn't really bother me. I have a job to do and I'm not asking you to be perfect. I'm not asking you to pretend to like me. I am just asking that... We can agree that the good of this island and the people living on it and the environment of this island are our first priority as rangers. And this kind of cocks his head a little bit and puts his arms on the, the banister as well and kind of looks out. This isn't precisely what I was hoping for. I hoped to get a position like this based on the work I've done the training I've done, not just because your dad read an article. I would have preferred to have been chosen to be here out of stuff I've done. But I'm here now and I can't really leave with the, the situation that you guys are in here. You have the option to leave. This is the moment, Ernest. Either you're stepping in or you're stepping out. I don't mind if you want to stay on the island, but I can't imagine why you would want to if you're not going to work here. It's not a, a choice of, of leaving a job. It's a choice of accepting the lie that everyone else is living and leaving here. And that's not something I can do. He holds out his hand to shake hers and says, I'd like to work here, but I don't intend to live in fear of you as Brett and so many others seem to do. If we're going to work together, I would very much like to, to work with you, not work in fear of you. 
if that's okay. She laughs. Just a chuckle. She takes your hand and she says, I wouldn't call it living in fear. Brett got more scared of the idea of talking to you than of the fact that we were in a cave with a monster. I've seen Brett have a panic attack at a bingo night. (laughs) (laughs) The man does not have a strong constitution. She shakes your hand. She hands you the folder and she says, your paperwork's in there, sign it. I have kept track of the different jobs you've been doing for me the last couple of weeks. Don't worry, you will actually get paid for all of that. Also, uh, she fishes through her pockets and then pulls out a ranger issue pocket knife, holds it out to you and says, uh, this is also customary. It is a gift, let's say, from the hook bar rangers. By the way, she hands it to you. The fact that you applied for the job after everything that had happened, most people don't. Most people want to pretend. The fact that you wanted to move forward, that would have been why he picked you. So you might not be qualified in the day-to-day ranger stuff, but between you and me, it's really not that hard. You can do a couple of short courses. There's a few things we can teach you. But the main thing in this job is the grit to keep going. And that's what I care about. And that's what Dad cared about. Now, I've got things to do. I have three emails from your mother to respond to before tonight's meeting. So, um... Oh, no, I told... I, no, uh, I meant it as, like... Uh... I didn't think she actually had your information. Oh, she found it, apparently. I don't know how. I'll I'll call Dad. I'll call Dad. Don't respond to them. I'll call Dad. Sounds good to me. She wanders off back down the trail. We cut now to later in the day. Ernest is pulling in to the Stern family driveway. Uh, Alistair's car is there with the wonky back panel. Mayor Stern's car is there. Uh, you walk through the uh, neatly manicured garden. Uh, we say garden. It's it's mostly bushes. It's not like hedges and yeah. stuff like that. Alistair is cleaning his dad's car. <laughs> what? He's been told many times to clean his dad's car this week and he's finally getting around to it so he doesn't get in more trouble. Right. Not his own car, he's cleaning his dad's car. He just kind of walks over and peers through. Very the, half-heartedly. Yeah, peers through the back window. It's a little noticeable. It's a little, little bit. Yeah, but if you squint... This guy squints and then Nara, like, jumps up at the glass. <laughs> like, thump. <laughs> he's like, huh? She's not used to there being a piece of glass there yet. <laughs> that was usually her way in. Now I have to like roll one of the back windows down at night so she can get out. <laughs> so she doesn't live in the house? No. My, my dad would have a fit if he found out that I had a cat. He's like dangerously allergic. But at least he says that. I just think he doesn't like cleaning up the fur, to be honest. Yeah. Um. So we... And he kind of like... Ernest does like a... A train motion with his arms, like the wheel motion. Is like we going? Yeah, yeah, he yeah. Like points to the half-washed car. <laughs> you, uh, do you need to finish this now? Or? No, it's fine. I like throw the sponge onto the roof of the car. And I was like, oh, that's fine. The suds. Come on, it's gonna leave marks. 
Yeah, it is going to be so much worse now. Yeah, you have to rewash it. You want to come in mine? I want to see if my back window survives the trip. <laughs> it's just like, oh. Well, if I got to order another one, I'd rather do it now than wait two weeks and then find out that it's not going to work. Doesn't come on. Doesn't it need to like cure or something or just? I don't know. Maybe. Okay. Look, if you want to read the back of the silicon bottle, like go for it. As I'm starting the car up. <laughs> okay, it stops in the car. All right, you got to get out now. Come on! He's just purring down, like, underneath the front seat. Uh, Alright, I guess you're staying there then. And just, like, dips his fingers underneath the chair. I'm guessing it's under his seat. Depending, like, Roll does for the, me. Does the little finger <laughs> movement thing. Eleven. You do not get clawed. Ernest has a way with animals. Alistair would have got she, his fingers she, shredded. She gently... No, she loves Alistair. Sure, roll for me. <laughs> no, I think I think that would be fun. It's like Alistair is terrible with animals, except this one cat. Like, this one cat loves him. No, she, like, gently licks your finger. Hello, Nara. All right, you are heading down the road uh, into town. As you drive, what do you... So you were saying your mother's upset with you? Oh, that? Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, she's always a little bit. Uh, sometimes. Oh, that's fun. Just a little bit. Um, so. Uh, I mean, I, I get it. That's my dad most of the time, to be honest. Not, not, not like angry, upset, more whenever you called upset. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so just real quick uh, about the bits of paper we took from the... I, well, I took from the yeah, station. Yeah, I've, I've got them all in the back Going seat. Back. Don't tell me what you do with them. Um, Nara is chewing one of them. <laughs> Ernest, like, scoops her up and, like, puts her on his lap. It's like, okay, um, okay, so we have that. Are we going to give them the vial? I think we should keep that. I think I think we have a right to that, um, given that, you know... I mean, I guess if she really asks for it, but technically she doesn't have any right to take that from us because that wasn't in the ranger station. That was something we got outside of that. <sighs> Unless, like, if you want to give it, that's fine. But I'm just saying we don't have to. This stuff, technically, we do have to give to Gina. And, oh, did you... How'd you go? Do you actually have a job now? I do have a job, which is why I kind of want to give her the vial. You, you, yeah, because you might not have a job. Well, okay, tell you what. If she asks for it, we'll give it to her. Yeah. If I, she doesn't ask, I think we should keep it. But also, like, didn't you say there was, like, 20 of those things with the black stuff at the that weird little culty place yeah. like there's a lot more of that stuff we can get like this isn't I don't think this is as I mean, valuable I don't think. really want to if like I'd beat up two it. of them we could, we could probably you, get you some you what I told you, you didn't about tell me that, that. Well, well technically like Nancy did most of it but yeah, I didn't I was be gonna in... say that's what you told me <laughs> I suppose we would also be within our right to give them half like I have a full bottle of it like if you're just no, taking samples, some. yeah, just give them some. Like, we can also okay. just tell them that, that we'll give you half, we'll keep half. It's like a, yeah, that's fine. I'm fine with that. Okay, then also, how much did we tell them about what we heard from Herb? I don't think we told her anything, did we? We told them about Brett. That's how we got the signal of Brett. And we, the child. We, we did tell Bernie, yeah. But we didn't tell him about the stuff that happened to Herb. And we also didn't tell them about the submarine. Which the, I still no. think, I still have whole dumps about feel like that's a bit of a stretch it was using it, ev- it was using every type of radio station information you could get it was using old like talk shows to like talk to us like if it yeah if I know doing that, it, it if could it was doing anything. that it would have to have a recording I mean why would would he have had a recording of talk shows from like the early yeah, 2000s yeah but this, this split fin's not a talk show topic it's a it's a top secret military like 
I only found out about that after doing a lot of digging on the dark web that I definitely shouldn't have been doing. I don't like the term dark Yeah, we'll come web. back to that. Anyway, my, uh, point, my point is I was very surprised to have heard about that again. I mean, I, I don't even know much about it. It's classified. If you, if you feel like they will actually listen, they seem to know a lot more about this and be much more open to this than, say, your dad would be. So oh, I'm not telling him a single thing. <laughs> yep, I guess we can do that. Um, is there anything else we haven't told them yet? I haven't told them that I have made a copy of everything in that bag. We don't... We, that, that's I don't a... think we need to. And Bernie also knows that I have that laptop. I'm surprised you even have it. Yeah. I'm surprised they didn't take that off you, like... I think they were kind of bit preoccupied with you know the the cult so you can't tell your dad about any of this uh no no definitely not he wouldn't listen anyway and i'm afraid of what he might do if he thought he heard something and and that he could yeah no definitely oh what about your mum then yeah my mum yeah uh like even with my parents like my mum would probably be more likely to believe that my dad is very Factual and what Oprah tells him. My dad just doesn't listen to me flat out. My mum, I, I don't know. I mean, I don't really talk to her that much. She she lives on the mainland with my sister. I, like, Skype them, I guess, every now and then for birthdays and stuff. Wait, then don't you? You don't like it here, though. Like, then, if they're, <laughs> I, don't, if they're I don't think anybody likes this island. But if they're on the mainland, why aren't you there? Like being no, being the I, being the handyman can't be that good. It's not. Uh, yeah, living with my dad is certainly a challenge. Um, well, so my where when my parents split up, they you know my my mum lived um with some friends for for a while, but that was around the time that my sister finished school and she wanted to go to uni on the mainland so they decided to move and I kind of had the choice whether I wanted to stay here and or move with my mom and my sister which <sighs> would have been great but I you probably relate to this given that you're still here I just I felt like I couldn't leave yet like I wanted to I like I my mom's great and my sister's great but I just I uh, felt like I couldn't couldn't really leave you know until yeah anyway So I stayed uh, with my dad, and I'm still here. Okay, well, uh, let's go in there and hopefully not get in heaps of trouble for withholding information. That'd be nice. This can only go well. All right, you uh, find a parking space. The Kingfish is an ancient, rickety, two-story structure. It has, like, a wooden deck running around the outside and heavy timber railings. You ever been in here, Ernest? Listen, man, I've only ever been in the post shop. Like, other than that, and, like, the supermarket. The wood here has been painted too many times to count, and it's, like, peeling away in flakes. But, Alistair, you you know this to be probably the only reputable pub on the island. Uh, there are others, but they lack the, the character and the rough friendliness. And the, the licenses. <laughs> and the licenses. Uh, as you step inside, you can see that, like, the ceilings are low and the windows are small. This is a building from another time. When you get to the bar, you find Susan, who is the tall, rest Tesla-esque owner and bartender. She's wearing like a CrossFit tank top that reveals just a collection of sailor tattoos up her arms, up her neck. Uh, she's like a, a pink dyed buzz cut. What are you having? Hey Susie. Bourbon, please. She puts a hand out. ID, Ali. 
You know me! I turned 19 like three months ago. Yeah, I don't know you well enough to know when your birthday is, and legally I have to check. Your friend there too. Ernest is already holding He's out. older than me, it's uh, fine. Ernest is already holding his out and says, a pink lemonade, please. Uh, you got it, champ. Thank she, you, man. Uh, she makes up your drinks. Uh, and then she... <laughs> makes up, opens the Schweppes bottle. <laughs> no, no, it's a pink lemonade. You get it in a glass. She gives you three straws. Thank you. Uh, she goes, uh, the others, they're waiting out back. She gestures with a thumb at uh, a door. It's not behind the bar, but it's kind of like next to the bar. I just holds his with like two hands because it's overfilled. So Alistair has never had bourbon before. <laughs> um, and I rolled and he got a natural 12. So he, That's your one good roll of the game. He drinks the entire thing in one go, coughs only a little bit and manages to hide it as though it was like a sneeze or something. You make your way to this event room. As you open the door, it's a relatively small space. Uh, this is like the size of room where you might have like a planning committee meeting or an AA meeting, except it's in a pub, so probably not. <laughs> no, that is 100% where the AA meetings happen on Hook Bar. When you enter, you see that there's been a couple of tables kind of pushed together to make one long table. And there are already a few people here. You can see uh, Maria and Wilbur. Wilbur is sitting on his mum's lap and she is going through a book with him she's kind of pointing to pictures in the opposite corner talking quietly kind of not quite with their backs to you but not really facing you are the two strangers from the mainland who uh you didn't really get a chance to meet any of you um and you haven't seen them in town in like the last two weeks they have definitely been absent but they're here too uh, as you walk in, you realize that uh, Bernie and Nancy are both here. They're both wearing uh, casual clothes. They're not in uniform by any means. They're off duty. Bernie has a very large flamboyant fruit cocktail of some kind. <laughs> Nancy has a pint. Bernie goes to uh, shake Ernest's hand. As you're doing that, I'm like, Ernest, can you just pass me the bag? Ernest kind of hand, like... <laughs> He's holding a drink and shaking someone's hand <laughs> at the moment. So it's just like, mm-hmm, yeah. Elsa doesn't take it from you. Uh, he just leaves you in that awkward position and, like, opens the zip and starts rummaging through. And he pulls out a brand new illustrated copy of Jules Verne's 2000 Leagues Under the Sea. He's like, yep, thanks. Uh, Alistair walks over to where Wilbur and his mother are sitting and kneels down so his eyes are at Wilbur's height. They both smile at you and say hello. Wilbur very sort of quietly, but you can tell that he, he knows who you are. Hey, Wilbur. How you doing? Hi. Um, I'm doing good. Yeah. That's good. How are you? Yep. Not bad. Feeling a bit better than I was last time I saw you. Hey, um, I got you something. I, I hope you don't mind, but I couldn't help but notice um, that you were reading 2000 Leagues Under the Sea and your copy got a little uh, little trash there. So I, I got this for you and I, I pass it. It's got a ribbon on it and it has a brand new bookmark on top of it as well. As you mentioned that he was reading it and the old copy, his face kind of darkens um, remembering that night. But when he sees the the gift, it brightens. He says, oh, wow, this is this is really good. He, he instantly is like trying to wrestle the the ribbon off it. I take my pocket knife book. out and cut the ribbon for him. Uh, and he's just going through the book. He's like flipping through and he's pointing out f uh illustrations to you and maria kind of jogs him on her knee and says what do we say remembering himself uh looks he goes thank you i really like it 
You're welcome. You know, it, this is the only one like this on the island. I had to uh, persuade the shop owner to get it from the back for you. As you stand up, Gina arrives with Brett in tow. You can see that Gina is not drinking and that Brett has a, a similar cocktail to Bernie. <laughs> <laughs> but his is in a coconut. But his, yeah, his is in a coconut. Gina kind of calls you all to attention uh, thank you, everyone, for coming. I thought it would be a good opportunity to catch our breaths together and uh, make sure that we are all on the same page here. And I'd like to um, thank our special guests for being here tonight. Uh, she gestures to uh, Maria and Wilbur. I think we can all agree that the situation of the last couple of months has been tense, but we seem to know now that at least some of these missing persons have been taken over, infected, possessed. In this particular instance, it is uh, fortunate, I would say, that we have two professionals in our midst. Alistair glances at Ernest, very confused. He's like, wait, is she talking about us? I've had a few private conversations with Miss Charlotte Bell. She gestures relaxes. She gestures to the woman still wearing the uh, heavy blue raincoat. Uh, Miss Bell, maybe you should just uh, take over. This woman uh, stands, her posture is, is military perfect and she holds the room as soon as she starts. Well, I suppose you do deserve some form of explanation. My name is Charlotte Bell, I am the lead field research coordinator for the Tier Society. This is my colleague, field operative Graham Monaghan. Graham kind of fronts and does not really say anything. Uh, I suppose I should probably explain, as most of you will not be familiar. The Tier Society is a private organization of scientists, researchers, and scholars dedicated to the documentation and research around the preternatural phenomena that our world experiences. We study the strange and the unexplained. We do our best to catalogue, categorise and prove the existence in many cases. And we are here because we are retrieving one of our field researchers. She gestures to Maria. I have been filled in on the situation here, partly from Maria, partly from Gina. I have to say it's a little disturbing. There are accounts in human history of similar occurrences, let's say, where groups of people have been taken over in one form or another. But what you have going on here is not quite anything like that. The lost, or I think you were also calling them the taken, they're something else entirely and not something that I have ever really seen. From everything I have been told and the little that I could research, it looks to me like you have a hive mind on your hands here. Whatever this black mucus substance is, this would lead me to deduce it is probably organic in nature. Perhaps fungal, perhaps bacterial. It's unclear if they are created by a hive mind taking possession of a dead body or a living body that is corrupted over time until there is nothing left but that hive mind. My suspicion is that there is probably a single creature or organism in the archipelago that is animating these lost souls. We may not be able to completely destroy or recover the persons corrupted until that mind is destroyed. Now, here is, to me, the fascinating part. Maria explained to me, well, Maria, perhaps you had better give it in your own words. Maria looks very uncomfortable. As all of you have kind of gathered, she's pretty 
quiet in nature. She does not like the limelight. She didn't really make conversation with any of you as you kind of mingled and talked. It's hard to know how much of that is just her and how much of that is the situation. But when prompted, she picks Wilbur up and sets him on the ground. She stands up. She kind of rubs her hands together and she says, well, um, I suppose by way of explanation, my name is uh, Maria. I was a field researcher working for the Tear Society. Uh, My husband and I, my late husband, worked together. We specialised in supernatural phenomena that took place in the last century, recent history, where we came across mentions of various scientific programs to do with all sorts of things, but uh, artificial intelligence was one. Anyway, we tracked part of that story down to here to the to the archipelago but before we could arrange um a research trip he he uh, passed away suddenly well that was a a couple of years ago and i uh kept working she makes pointed eye contact with charlotte even though i was officially discouraged from investigating these rumors i I wanted to finish what i had started what we had started together so i took some time off and I made my way here, and I had been making some progress for a while. A couple of months, I found a few leads, but not much, and then everything with Wilbur started. She is kind of trying to smile at him, and you can see that he is listening very intently and very seriously. He had um, uh, nightmares, reoccurring ones, and then episodes while he was still awake, and then we had the, the visitors. In the night, people at the door... At the windows, those awful infected people with the black gunk. Well, I moved us again and then again, but they always found us. And I thought at first it was because I was digging too deep and these old stories were, were bringing up something, but that's, that's not what it was. When Wilbur got worse, when the dreams started happening more and the fits started happening more, I realised that they... Uh, were, were coming for him. They wanted him. I think those weird hippies were right. He is important, aren't you, darling? They needed him for some reason. I don't know why, but I think it's very important that we get him as far away from here as we possibly can. Charlotte nods very curtly and says, It does seem, from Maria's description, that whatever these lost are and whatever the hive mind or entity that is controlling them has a specific interest in little Wilbur here. So we will be getting him off this island as fast as we can. Unfortunately, we have a few loose ends to tie up first, and it is far better that they go escorted. Gina, I believe you have a few things to get through, but I just want to make you all aware of something else. We had ulterior motives for coming here. There is a former member, a disgraced member, we might say, who we believe is operating here under the guise of a researcher. Her real name, or at least the name that we knew her by, was Dr. Gemma Eisenberg. By now, we are fairly certain that she is going under the alias Dr. Pike. At that name, Ernest kind of like cocks his head and looks at Alistair, thinking back to when he arrived on the ferry and the woman, the only other person on there. And the name the mayor had said was Mrs. Pike. Alistair gives you like a a nod of like, yeah, I know what you're thinking. I remember the same thing. We are here to find Dr. Pike, as she is calling herself, because she was disbarred 
and discharged from the society after unethical research. And we believe that she has continued that research here. If any of you has any information, I would like to speak to you about that. But for now, just know that she is a serious threat, both to the inhabitants of this island and to the delicate ecosystem of unexplained and preternatural life here. I should probably mention that the Tear Society is not a monster hunting unit. We're not here to capture and destroy, we're here to study in the most peaceful and least obtrusive methods possible. Dr. Pike takes a different turn. Uh, would you guys like to la ask anything before she... Yeah, Alistair just pops his hand up. Yes. Uh, hi, excuse me, um, Mrs... Miss... I... Ms. Bell. Yes. Um, I, I just have one question. Pardon me for interrupting. If you are able to, to prove that there are preternatural circumstances going on, which I think we're all in agreement, he, like, takes a second and thinks about it. He's not good with talking in front of people. He goes, how do, you, how do you plan to use that information to protect this, this island? Well, it's quite simple and straightforward, really. The Tear Society as a whole, from its foundation, has been dedicated to the understanding of these events, these uh, creatures and ecosystems that exist within our own. And what we want to see is a balance where an ecosystem is allowed to exist without being destroyed by humans and without endangering humans. Now, this is not a well-understood or a well-publicised pursuit. The scientific community at large, as I'm sure you can imagine, does not hold us in good standing. But as I'm sure all of you will have some experience, the fact that these things exist does not really need to be proved. It can be documented, it can be explained. The belief or disbelief really comes down to what each individual is willing to accept. Elster kind of nods. He, he looks like he's been fairly satisfied by the answer. He's like, okay. So would you say your goal as a society is to reach a point where the humans and whatever else is here are able to kind of live without interfering with each other, kind of, I don't touch you, dude, don't touch me kind of thing? As far as possible, yes. Okay. The, the simple answer is that any of these supernatural, she air quotes, creatures and phenomenon really are no different from anything else in our world. They're no more dangerous or strange than an earthquake or a typhoon. They're no more unusual than sea creatures. All things are dangerous in our ecosystem. We just don't understand some. Uh, yeah, Alistair kind of takes those words and thinks back to his time uh, with the children, the tide, and just kind of thinks about their dealings with the preternatural of trying to to control and uh, involve themselves with whatever mother was, which we, ne you know, Alistair never found out. Um, and he kind of redoubles his dislike for them. It's like, yeah, well, they're kind of asking for trouble, aren't they? And he, he kind of just looks at Charlotte again and he's like, thanks. Uh, does does TIA stand for something? Is that an acronym? Or? <laughs> I'm just curious. She she chuckles a little bit and goes, TIA does not stand for anything. If you haven't ever heard the story, TIA is one of the sons of Odin in the Thor mythos. TIA is perhaps most famous for his friendship with 
Fenrir or Fenris, the wolf, the son of Loki. Now, if you know your mythology, you know that Fenris is fated to be the downfall of the gods. He is the one that brings around Ragnarok and will kill the gods. But Tyr befriends him, and when Fenris grows too large and too wild to be counted a friend any longer, it is Tyr that sacrifices his right hand in order to buy the other gods time to bind him. So just like our namesake, we put our hand into the unknown for the sake of humanity. Alistair smiles and nods. He's like, I'm familiar. Ernest like cocks his head again. I was like, what? Loki? What? <laughs> Charlotte sits down and Gina takes the fucking and she goes, I guess to summarize, Wilbur is safe, Maria is safe, and we will do what we can do to protect them while they're here. Now that leaves a few things still to discuss. Uh, the missing people of which... At least 20 are unaccounted for, are probably all turned into the lost or the taken or whatever we were going to call them. That is my worry, but we cannot stop looking and we need to do what we can to find them and at least know for sure that that is what's happened. My father is probably gone. As of yesterday, I am Hukwa's chief ranger. We still have two rangers missing in the field my brother Sherman and also Jermaine. My worry is if they are missing at this point and we still cannot find them that they also have been turned. So I have a proposition for those in this room. I have made known to most of you at one time or another the origin of the watchtower burning code that we use in the ranges to designate strange or supernatural emergencies. Well, I'm proposing a new watchtower task force, a small group of us that know what is going on and are willing to put ourselves on the front line. I am talking about town security. I am talking about people who are willing to step in and to do the hard yards to look after our community. Now it's up to you, each of you, as to whether you want to be involved in this. I will understand if you are not comfortable. Brett has already made clear that while he will continue to act as a park ranger, he would like to remain on desk duty for at least the time being. You can see Brett is sort of nodding in his chair, not wanting to actually say anything. <laughs> we are understaffed and there are not enough of us to do everything that we would like. But right now our priorities are to locate our two missing rangers, Sherman and Jermaine. If possible, to locate my father, but I will not put selfish ambitions ahead of the well-being of other people. We need to find whatever this hive mind or control center or origin point is, and then we can figure out how to deal with it. Think it over. If you know what your decision is now, tell me. Alistair stands up and say, well, I've come this far. And this is like... Alistair, you live two kilometers away. <laughs> she, <laughs> she's trying not to smile. And this is like grabbing onto his shoulder and trying to like pull him back down. Uh, like, Alistair not, grabs your hand and, and... We're not standing up ...stands now. you up as well. It's not stand up top of the, It's Okay, okay, I'm standing to... Yep, she, she points at you too and says, By the way, I have not forgotten that you owe me some paperwork. Yep, it's okay. I brought it. I apologize and I like gesture to Ernest to get the bag. I'm like, I apologize for, um, yeah, last time. Tempers were running high. Let's just let bygones be bygones and move forward. I put the bag on the table. Thank you. Ernest kind of holds his hand up. Ernest, this is not school. You don't have to do that. Okay. Um, so uh, we have some form of 
a lead with this, uh, which is something that me and uh, Alistair were discussing earlier. We didn't bring it up before because I thought it wasn't anything really of note. I thought it was gobbledygook, but Alistair's not of that opinion, so we thought we'd bring it up. When we heard the distress signal from Brett, it was in a mixture of static and uh, information. The reason why I believe it is linked is because the static was communicating with us. It was saying something along the lines of the tide grows, all will be consumed by the tide, which makes me believe that it is linked to this. And I was kind of like points at Alistair. Charlotte, have you ever heard of the SS split fin? She takes a moment and you can see that she is sort of doing a mental catalogue. She answers, no. How is that pertinent? It was mixed in with the radio transmissions. It, I can check my notes. I can do a little research, but... Ernest kind of keeps his it. hand in the air and says, The reason it is important with this is we gained information through that that we didn't have before. Vital information to find Brett. And it was communicating with us, directly communicating with us, saying stuff similar to what the cult on the outskirts of the island were talking. Same type of things. The people who wanted Wilbur were using similar lingo that this thing was communicating with us. And the split fin was mentioned by name. But the split fin would not have been broadcast on public radio. There wouldn't be easily accessible records of it. It was something used intentionally. When we went in there, Herb Cush was being controlled by... He was plugged in. You can see the scars on his wrist. A hive mind type of creature was controlling him and speaking through him to us. The split fin is important to that. As you're speaking, Maria stands up similar to Charlotte. She seems to be trying to rack her memory. She kind of taps the table and says, part of what I've been researching to do with this island and to do with um, scientific experiments, the split fin did come up as... uh, What my research said essentially was that there has been things going on here in this island. This island has been a hotspot for these things for some time. And if I'm not mistaken, if you're right that there have been instances of similar things in the past but not well documented, it might well be possible that this is not the first time this has happened. It might well be possible that this is a reoccurring problem, in which case we are not looking at a single phenomenon or a new phenomenon we're looking at a reoccurring situational cause a kind of shiver runs up Ernest's spine as he thinks back to what he saw in the creature's mind of the boat arriving at the archipelago and everyone dying except for the creature i don't know how the split fin is connected but it was connected with what i was researching and that was connected with the history of the island and the reason they did experiments here rather than elsewhere ernest raises his hand again and says uh one last thing um when i arrived here i saw i arrived with that doctor lady and for anyone who has been here before you know that the the mayor is a pretty uh aloof type of guy um but he came himself to meet her Dad might know where she is. I I can try and ask him if he knows. Graham, who has been noticeably silent the entire time, stands up. And you can see that although he's short, he's about the same height as Ernest and maybe in his early 40s, but he is pretty powerfully built. He nods to Charlotte and says, 
with your permission, ma'am, and shoulders his way out of the door. She stands and says, that is significant. If Dr. Pike had an appointment or an arrangement with Mayor Stern, she, she did. They knew each other. Or they'd spoken, at least. And he'd also arranged to have people help take her equipment off the boat. She had a lot of stuff with her. Like, crates. She approaches you, Alistair, and she says, I don't want to alarm you, but I suspect this means your father is probably in a lot of danger, whether he knows it or not. Anyone working with Dr. Pike either knows exactly what she is doing or is being used. Dr. Pike does not leave loose ends. Also, as she kind of gestures to where Graham has just left, don't worry too much about Graham. He will be doing observation. (laughs) Ernest is still like staring out the door like, did I just sell someone out? Someone going to get beat up because of me? Well, that's reassuring, I guess. So Gina kind of claps her hands to get everyone's attention. Goes Well, all of this conjecture is all well and good, but it kind of just confirms that I think we need a battle plan. In the meantime, we stay safe, we stay aware, and we keep communicating with one another. Thank you all for coming. I appreciate that you are willing to be here and step up to the plate. As the group's kind of starting to disperse and people are moving away, uh, Alistair walks up to Maria and Wilbur. He says, Maria, uh, I just have a quick question for you. Um, yeah, yeah, sure, sure. Um, you said you were researching, what was it? Uh, artificial intelligence, is that right? That sounds interesting. Yeah. Yeah. The Ilios program. You found the laptop. I did. I don't know a whole lot, um, and I couldn't get into the laptop. Maybe you will have better luck than me, and I would appreciate if you let me know the findings. Honestly, I was just going to try and find someone who could get into it because it's not my forte. Of course. Well, thank you. I'll, uh, well, I'll do my best. I will. I'll um, photocopy some things for you to read. It might be helpful. Thank you. See you, Wilbur. Bye. Ernest is staring at the door and like gives them thumbs up. Alistair <laughs> leaves with him. Wilbur is sort of semi-hiding behind his mum, but he gives you the thumbs up too. That's my friend Ernest. He's not that scary. I like his hat. Alistair waves and walks over to, to Ernest. You kind of notice that his, his uh, persona that he had when he was with Wilbur kind of drops a little bit. And he's like, you ready to go? And it's kind of like continues his thumbs up. All right. You disperse out into the night. Gina is getting into her Jeep that she's parked right out front. You see uh, Brett is getting a lift home. Bernie and Nancy are walking up the street together. And you head back around the other side of the street uh, to retrieve your car. It's in a quiet, dark parking lot. So I guess you're going to have to drive. Uh, I didn't, didn't think of that. I was like, yep, yep, I can do that. Uh, hopefully I didn't sell you down out there. That would be best not to do. It's okay. I I think it's good that we mentioned it. And uh, I have a chat to him. As you say that, you reach your car. And before you can uh, unlock it, there is a burst of light as another car's engine roars to life and you are pinned in the headlights against the wall. And you can see a silhouetted figure standing between the headlights. And as he steps forward into the light, you hear, What up, my dudes?
Tides as Chester Lydon as Ernest Marsh, BJ Ingate as Alistair Stone, and me, Aubrey Lydon, as your host and narrator. We hope you enjoyed this week's episode. It was a little bit of a long one. Check out next week as we continue our adventure with a returning character that has not actually appeared on the main feed. One of those cheeky characters that has returned from nowhere that you've heard of on his, on his much-awaited tour of the real world. So check out next week's episode. If you want to find us on social media, you can find us on Facebook at DarkTidesPod. You can find us on Twitter at twitter.com slash DarkTidesPod and Patreon at patreon.com slash DarkTides. And not Instagram because we don't have one. No, so do don't have try Reddit. and look for it. Yeah, but there's also no like, visual. There's no like visual to put on Instagram. There's not a whole lot. There's our cover art, which you've already seen because you listen to the podcast. Keep tuned for next week's We're installment. We're really dragging this one out, we aren't really we? Yeah, are. keep tuned, guys. All right. All right bye-bye. Bye, bye. everyone.